It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. You are locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. And it's not exactly every day that any team makes, well, not really makes history, but does something like the Warriors did in this game, which was absolutely offensively dominate the Lakers a few weeks after their most embarrassing loss of the season. Granted, it's one of two, but the Warriors came out and were helped by a bad defensive Lakers performance and just kind of a flat effort from them overall in the absence of D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle. But when a team has a ridiculous night like this, I feel like it is good, especially since there isn't a lot of analysis to really do on this game, to just give some of those numbers and appreciate the insanity for what it is. So while the scoring is there, and I'll get to that in a second, the 47 assists the Warriors had, it was only the 14th time in the NBA since 1983 that a team has had 47 or more assists in a regulation game. It was the first time since back in 1991. It was actually almost exactly 25 years ago. And it was a game the Suns did it against the Hornets in a game Del Curry actually played in. Jeff Hornacek was in it too. All of, I posted the box score on Twitter. It's a pretty ridiculous one if you want to see how much the league has changed. And the idea of 47 assists is pretty ridiculous. I mean, it does also continue the Warriors' streak of games with 13 or with 30 plus assists and the record is 13 they're at nine now so they'll still have to do it a series more times if they're going to get there yes the Warriors play at a fast pace but that's absolutely ridiculous I mean they had 47 47 assists on 52 made field goals 53 actually as it turned out which is absolutely incredible and so then the other kind of ridiculous part of the history if you want to call it that is that it was the 139th time in NBA history, regular season or playoffs, that an NBA team scored 149 or more in a regulation game, so no overtime, and only the 62nd time since the NBA instituted a three-point line. So we're dealing with some pretty rarefied air here, and even if you want to kind of couch it in the idea of the Lakers having a bad night, which they certainly did, and the Warriors left a few on the table in terms of assists, in terms of points, just some some missed shots, that is always going to happen. No team is ever going to be perfect from the field. But the story of this game is just that their offensive ceiling, especially when the other team helps out, is ludicrously high. At this point, the Warriors have a, I believe it's a four point per hundred possessions lead in terms of offensive rating on the entire rest of the league. Of course, that will go down. They will face some stronger competition, even, you know, getting the Hawks in a couple, in, I think it's in about a week, that's going to downgrade it a little bit. But this is a team that is very, very, very talented on that end. And that is really just starting to to get to it. And I thought there was a quote from Steve Kerr after the game about Kevin Durant and his fit that spoke to this a little bit. Is this team about where you expected it would be after all the changes now that you've had 15 or so games 
to get used to each other? Are they where you thought they would be, ahead of, behind? I don't know. It's a hard question to answer because you, you kind of just go into the season. Um, you figure that it's going to take a little while, but how do you, you know, how do you pinpoint when it's going to click? And um, so there's no way of, of telling. I, I did think it would happen, um, you know, relatively smoothly in terms of incorporating Kevin into what we do because he's such a great playmaker and uh, he enjoys uh, playing the way we play. You know, it's it's not like we we're trying to you know, fit the square peg in the round hole. I mean, he, he came here for a reason. I think he enjoyed watching us play in recent years, and I, I think he wanted to be a part of it, and and he fits right in. You saw multiple plays tonight where he, you know, he put it on the floor and found other guys and then vice versa. And that's the beauty of, of, of our team is that uh, we have so many passers. We have so many guys who uh, can really uh, make a play and move the ball, and that's why you see the assist totals, you know, where they are. So what he's getting at there is is a very interesting point, which is the idea of why Kevin Durant may have chosen the Warriors in the first place and why this team was always so interesting from an offensive perspective, because they have the kind of talent that can feed off each other. There are ways that players, particularly offensively, can be incredibly talented, but not feed off one another. And a lot of that gets into the concepts of passing and shot usage and things like that. And so you can imagine even prime Kobe was an underrated passer, but prime Kobe, prime Iverson, guys like that, you know, they they were dominant forces in their own way, but they, they wouldn't have meshed well together. And the Warriors bring both high-level passing and unselfishness, which are both important. You need to be able to make the passes, to see the passes, and be willing to do it, but also a great collection of open-shot hitters. And it's not top to bottom. You know, there's some, some guys on this team that can periodically miss them, but when you put those two things together, you get the idea of something that can be truly special. And I talked before the season, I can't remember if it was on Locked on Warriors, I definitely did on Real Jam Radio and Dunked On, about the idea of offensive talent feeding off each other in a non-linear, closer to exponential way. And the reason for that is because of the concept of attention. So when a team is focusing on something else, it diverts energy away from doing other things. You know, you only have a finite amount. It's why I describe defense a lot of times in terms of choices, because you can engage certain players, you can engage certain schemes, but everything is choosing to sacrifice something to shut down something else or something in that in that kind of a vein and the con the concept in terms of the Warriors was that having Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant in particular but really everybody else made it untenable for a defense to really handle everything and there are teams that are going to be much better suited to it than the Lakers meaning almost everybody but it's still a challenge no matter what and as the Warriors move towards not an end game but a, a progress point offensively that's something that has to be noted in terms of the structural limitations that other teams will have facing the Warriors, particularly when the big four are all on the court at the same time, because the Lakers at moments in this, they completely lost a guy like Klay Thompson because they were so focused on everything else. Some of that is just not executing the scheme, not having great talent in that way. The guys that were often getting lost, it was, you know, maybe Lou Williams or Nick Young, who's been more engaged this year, but is still, you know, not that. And there was a moment that blew my mind when Luol Dang, it was in the third quarter, I believe, Dang, smart defender, 
one of one of my favorite workers in the league just because he's a guy who tries on almost every possession but he for whatever reason treated clay thompson as a driver when clay got the ball had his feet set from a, just above the break on a three-pointer so he was kind of hedging back on a drive and clay just drilled the three as he was leaning as he was leaning the wrong as dang was le- leaning the wrong way and so that gets into a couple of different problems that the lakers have just in terms of execution of scheme and being off their game but Dropping 149 on an NBA team is an accomplishment, and it should not be discounted because of that. And while not the biggest takeaway from this game, because the offense was so important, it also should be noted that, by and large, they did a pretty solid job defensively. This was a diminished Lakers team, in many ways more diminished offensively than defensively, because their two biggest absences were D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle, and both of them are much better offensive players than defensive players, and their their replacements are decidedly mixed offensively. Calderon is, you know, always still always all offense, no defense, but his offense has gotten worse as he's aged, which is, you know, what you expect from everybody else. And then they ended up playing Brandon Ingram and Luol Deng together, which worked reasonably all right. But Ingram, you know, he, he made most of his damage later in the game once once things were already settled. I think he only had six points in the first half. So the Lakers missed the missed their guys on both ends, but this was a you know, not not the best defensive effort by the Warriors, but one of the better ones. Draymond Green was spectacular, had a couple of really nice just not necessarily shot blocks, which is part of the reason why I don't like people relying on shot blocks as a defensive metric for rim protection. He had a few great deterrents and had just a few plays where he just messed everything up. And so many times a player can get credit for a steal or a block in those kind of situations, but oftentimes they don't as well. He also had nine defensive rebounds, and like almost everybody on the Warriors except KD, he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. So those kind of counting stats are undeniably hurt by that. And Green only attempted six shots, Patchouli only attempted three. So you had all those things running together as well that by and large, the Warriors were having their best players take their shots. And something else, while it gets into the idea of the record, but that was really encouraging was that, yes, the Warriors did have KD and Iguodala on the floor at the beginning of the fourth, and I wish that they hadn't because they didn't need that. They also scored 43 points in that quarter with almost all bench players. And the takeaway there ideally would be for Steve Kerr that he doesn't need to worry as much about the scoring capability of those lineups because if let's say the Warriors are up 20 or 25 the worst thing that can happen for an all backup unit is the combination of not scoring and oftentimes that leading to bad defense and there are feedback loops both ways you know when you when you struggle offensively it allows the other team to run more and if you're and if they're scoring more it makes it harder defensively so those two things do run together but having a you know let's call it a solid defensive night the last time out that they did that and then even though as i said they were playing some of their rotation players this time having a respectable some would even say strong offensive performance even outside of the KD minutes, outside of the Iguodala minutes, is important. And that means maybe we can get into the point where later on in the year, fans, media members aren't kind of sitting there going, well, why isn't JaVale McGee in? Why isn't Patrick McCall in? Why isn't Ian Clark in? I mean, Ian Clark had 17 points in the fourth quarter. That was garbage time. There was there was no time more garbagey than those 17 points in the fourth quarter. But 
doing that is significant. You know, it, it isn't easy. The other team is trying. It's not like the Lakers were just kind of dredging the bottom of their bench. They still had Jordan Clarkson out there. They still had Lou Williams out there for a lot of that. And yeah, those guys aren't the greatest defenders in the world, but scoring 17 is still something. And so getting a few minutes again with even bench heavy units, you know, Clark, McCaw, JaVale, Looney, those guys together and them playing well bodes positively for the future because this is a Warriors team that will probably be blowing a lot more teams out. And the more confident Steve Kerr and the coaching staff are in where this team can be without their best players in, the less likely those guys are to get hurt because they'll be off, they'll be sitting on the bench and it's while it's certainly possible, it's very, very hard to get hurt in that way. And you know, this is a hard game in some ways to, to really go through and analyze because the Warriors did so much right. The passing was unbelievable. There were a couple of them. It was this it was this nice mix of the making the right play when it was easy and making the right play when it was really hard. There were a couple of absolutely beautiful Stephen Curry in particular passes, one to Draymond in transition that was was incredible. I think that was in the at the end of the second quarter. And then he whistled one to Sean Livingston, which at Livingston actually reverse dunked. And those are evocative or remind me of what Curry can do as a creator in that way. And even when his shot isn't falling, which it was tonight, the value that he can bring not only as a focus of attention and as a decoy, but as a passer. And he had nine assists in this game, one turnover. And Coach Kerr talked at various moments during the postgame about how happy he was that they not only assisted a ton, you know, at, at the half, at the half, they had 26 assists and only three turnovers, which is pretty incredible. But that combination is even more dangerous than just the assists themselves because almost any team does a better job scoring off of another team's turnovers. And beyond that, the Warriors, as I said, they only had three turnovers in the first half. Only one of those was live ball. There was a steal. uh, Thomas Robinson got it. It was kind of a weird play. And I think they did score on that. But, you know, that, that cut it down. The Lakers only had seven fast break points in the whole first half. Whereas at 18, because they weren't turning the ball over. And so you had this combination of factors that's absolutely devastating. And their defense is not perfect. It's not where it should be, where it will be at the end of the season, but you're giving them a much easier margin when they, when you can defend out of the half court almost every single time. So as I said, with feedback loops, those things run together a lot, but having the offense feel the defense is strangely, I used to call it poetic with this team because that was the reputation a couple of years ago, particularly in the Mark Jackson years when Curry and Thompson kind of grew to a level of prominence was the idea that they were an offensive team and everything came from that. And that wasn't true then. The Warriors were better defensively than they were offensively. That was true even even two years ago when they won their first title. I think they were best in, best in defense and number two in offense. And they succeeded both ways, of course. But it's a part of their legacy. And then this year, they're first by a mile in offense right now. And they're about league average. I think they're 15th in defense as of tonight. So they're finally becoming the team that so many thought they were in other years with a false impression. And they should get better overall than they have been so far. That doesn't mean they're going to get better than they were tonight. That would be a, a would be a distant dream, I guess you could call it. But they will have these performances more often. And I talked a little bit on Real Jam Radio with Ben Golliver about the concept of undeniability. And what I mean by that in this context is that an undeniable team 
is one that even if you do everything right, they're going to, to put something on you. And they're, the Warriors are not there yet. They're getting there. Steph struggling a little bit in isolation is, is, is a concern in that way. Durant hasn't attacked switches as aggressively as he probably will in April, May, and June. Those sorts of things get make it a lot closer. But when I was watching the game tonight, you know, sitting on press row, I kept on things sitting there going, well, even if the Lakers were better than they are, they would still be struggling with this. And that is the goal of any team, because if you can reach that point, then your tr- your success can translate a little bit more easily because it's harder to shut it down. And so that gets into the idea of a better playoff team versus a regular season team, because a playoff team needs to be able to execute in difficult circumstances because the selection biases that lead into the playoffs mean that the teams that defend better, broadly speaking, are the ones that A, make the playoffs and B, advance in the playoffs. So you're going to have to be doing it. And that's why teams in other years, it might be different this year, like the Atlanta Hawks, who relied on a team concept offensively and not as much on individual dominance, could struggle in the playoffs because the competition got better. They could take away what Atlanta did best. And so they were able to fade away. The same thing broadly happened to the Toronto Raptors, though they did still make the conference finals partially out of injuries in that series against the Heat. The Warriors are getting closer and closer, seems like, each game to that idea of undeniability. And if the defense can come around and they don't have to be top 10, I think some people are getting fixated by that. doesn't have to be that way. But if they can reach the levels where they can get the stops they need to so that the other team won't kind of get the get the points they need to make the Warriors spiral because this this is a team they I mean it happened against the Lakers the last time they played where when they struggle to get shots they will kind of flail a little bit if they can reach that point in the regular season it's going to be it's going to be really interesting and also the question of will they get up for specific opponents because this looked like one that the the Warriors really wanted the Lakers did embarrass them at Staples Center a few weeks ago and you know, they just came off a really good road trip, the Warriors did, and they had a lot of advantages in this game. The Lakers played last night against the Thunder, got a big win. I feel like the Warriors should give the Thunder some sort of gift basket because it was the second game in a row that a team faced the Warriors after a hard-fought win against the Thunder and just got the doors blown off. But the Warriors also deserve a lot of credit in both of those games for doing so and taking advantage of the situation. And really the stretch that that stood out to me, and I'm guessing stood out to a lot of the people who watched, was around the middle of the second quarter, the Warriors were only up 13. And 13 is not the greatest margin because if you start getting a little bit cold, the other team gets a little bit hot, and the Lakers, of course, have an army of streaky shooters. The game could have gotten a little bit close, and the Warriors ended the first half on this just monstrous 29-11 to run, and it was just a variety of different players, a variety of different circumstances. They were 10 of 15 from the field. They also were 5 of 8 from the line, and so they, and they also had, so they missed five shots. They got two of those shots on offensive rebounds and the Lakers got three. So there were not that many failed possessions in that stretch. The defense was pretty good. That period of time, the 29 to 11 was more about the offense than the defense. And as was a hallmark of the game, the Warriors had nine assists on their 10 baskets and only had two turnovers. And one of them was a kind of ridiculous one where Stephen Curry threw a lob up to Iguodala that he just wasn't nearly tall enough to catch. I mean, even JaVale wouldn't have gotten to that. So when a team can turn it on, even against inferior competition and do something like that and take a game that was more competitive than it should have been and just 
end it. It's a really good sign for their competitiveness, but it also just functionally helps the team. You know, putting the game away at that point, it allowed the third quarter to take on a very different tenor. Yes, the Warriors lost it by three points. That doesn't really matter. But they they made it so that the Lakers were dispirited. The Lakers were basically done. And you need to do that in the NBA because your opponents are really, really good. Coach Kerr's talked numerous times over the course of the season about the problem of having a big first half lead and like so right at the transition of the third quarter but having that lead is a whole lot better than letting a team kind of stay in it and get to retool and refocus and use that motivation when the coach can say oh you know yeah we're behind but but we can get there it's a lot better a case than well let's do our best and see what happens and especially when the Lakers were coming off travel off a back-to-back you want to break those teams hearts you want to break their spirit and the Warriors absolutely did that tonight a couple of other notable takeaways went back to Patrick McCaw being the first shooting guard off the bench he looked solid it wasn't his best game in any way shape or form but he looked fine Ian Clark ended up having a huge game a lot of that was in the fourth quarter he had 21 total 17 in the fourth quarter But he also did get, they had about the same amount of minutes in the first three quarters. So this wasn't just Ian Clark getting it at that point. After three, Patrick McCaw played seven and a half minutes. Ian Clark had played six. So they might be getting closer to an equilibrium. There was a point where they both played together, not in the fourth quarter before that. And we'll probably see that a little bit more throughout the course of the season. And then the other part, which is uh, just amusing in so many ways, is that Draymond Green already has great alley-oop chemistry with JaVale McGee. Helps that JaVale McGee has super long arms and can still jump pretty well, not like what he could do when he should have won the dunk contest in LA years ago. But plenty plenty, plenty good enough there. And there was a moment in the, I believe it was in the first quarter, it might have been, might have been later, where I, I really understood why. And it was because it was play, I think it was a Steph Draymond pick and roll. Draymond got the ball, however it happened, and was driving towards the basket. And I believe it was Larry Nance, came over to kind of check on it. it might have been Tarek Black and Green immediately threw the lob and I had flashbacks because I was also sitting in almost the same seat to Green doing that to Festus Azili for years and so it's functionally muscle memory at this point for Draymond to make those passes for him to make those reads and the defense can't help themselves because you see a guy especially a talented player coming at you and you're the only defender, your instinct is to play them as a driver, not as a passer. And Draymond has learned over the course of years and reps and everything like that, exactly when to make that pass. And if you make the pass early enough, which is something that Draymond does that a lot of guys don't do, it's harder to get help over there. And so you create the panic situation, but then you extinguish the help possibility and you're going to get either a basket or a foul. And over the last couple of games, they've gotten a little bit of both. But McGee did a nice job of finishing those opportunities. And while Zaza Pachulia has has played better the last couple of games, still some worries in terms of pick and roll defense, that concept is why McGee is so interesting with this team because he is a player that they can integrate offensively almost exactly the way that they've done before. Pachulia is more like Bogut, but in some ways the Warriors are better with another Azili out there than Bogut just because they don't need Bogut's ball handling at this point. They have Kevin Durant, they have so many more guys now, they have a different structure. So we'll see how that affects it moving forward, whether Pachulia ever cedes minutes to JaVale. That probably won't happen in the near term just because of the the you call it politics if you want, the idea that Pachulia took a lot less to come to the Warriors. He was their highest profile addition outside of Kevin Durant. He took he got the most money, got the room middle level. And because at a very practical point, 
it doesn't make that much of a difference in the regular season, and they can get enough minutes of JaVale with the key starters, with the key components, to understand what they have. And the playoff rotation is going to be totally different anyway, so I don't see a need in fixating on where JaVale is in this whole thing. So he'll he'll get his minutes, he'll get his touches, and it was nice to see that. There was a little bit of the Anderson Verjao charity in this game where he played in the third quarter with the starters, looked pretty bad, ended up doing a little bit in the fourth quarter just because, you know, he, he can still technically play basketball. Looney looked a little bit better physically out there. Was it good to see him get minutes in a game outside of the, you know, the the Milwaukee one, which just wasn't conducive to him. The Lakers have more of those groundbound centers that he that he can take advantage of a little bit and just outwork. And Tark Black's a strong player. Tark Black's a good player, but he's not the same type of guy as let's say Miles Plumley or something like that. So good to see Looney have a, have a strong night. Of course, all the starters did well. Curry 11 of 18 from the field, 7 to 12 from three. And this is an idea of, you know, what the Warriors can be when they're at their best offensively, but there might be another gear here. I mean, not in terms of the overall result, 61% from the field and everything else like that, 47, 47 assists on 53 main baskets, but in terms of offensive execution and knowing where everybody is and just kind of reaching that level, they can do this against better teams than the Lakers, and that's very exciting, and it's, it's going to be fun to see where this team goes for the rest of the year, but in some ways, especially how they do on Friday, because they, they're they riding high off of this win. The Lakers are licking their wounds off of the loss. But playing the same team again, home and home is always tough. And they're going to the Lakers are going to be motivated. The Warriors will, you know, they'll have a, a nice time after that. But the result of that game will. Well, I think that's going to be a nice question and a nice answer to a question of will they really be competitive for these kind of like a crazy win total this year? Because if they win that game and then beat the Wolves the next night, then we're going to be kind of on the verge of something special beyond the special that this team already is. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, This is, you know, the last episode that we'll run before Thanksgiving. I am deeply appreciative, not only to all of you for listening, all of the guests that I've been able to have so far in the about three months. Actually, it's a little over two. It's a little over two. It's closer to two than three that have been doing this. Also, deep, deep thanks to, to David Locke for founding the Locked On Podcast Network and inviting me to be a part of it. It has been so much fun to do this. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, and different, you can reach out to me on Twitter at DanielLaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, on email, MBA at gmail.com. And we'll, you know, we'll keep having fun. And I'm not exactly sure how I want to handle Friday and Saturday's games. I think it will depend a little bit on how it goes, because as with this episode, I don't really want to rope another guest in when there isn't a whole lot to talk about other than, wow, the Warriors played really well. Well, everything like that. Same thing I did with the, with the Pacers game. So it might depend a little bit on that, but I do genuinely enjoy doing these kind of recaps. So I'm guessing there'll be something of some sort for both that, even though it's two games that lead into a weekend. I just enjoy it. I'm guessing it'll happen. Also, for those of you who who want to follow it, my writing for The Athletic, of course, I'll have at least one piece up on every single game this weekend. And then we're actually going to do a locked on, or sorry, do a Twitter NBA show on with involving the Warriors next week. That date will be announced probably after Thanksgiving, but it's going to be fun. Nate Duncan and I doing live question and answers, halftime breakdowns, and then post-game breakdowns for for that. So the Warriors will be included in that. So it's a little bit of a tease. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I appreciate all of the kind words. I appreciate the criticism as well, as long as it is, let's call it constructive, as long as there is something that can be built from it. If it's just, you know, the negative stuff, I, it doesn't phase me, but 
I can't really do anything better from it. So that is what it is. But thank you so much for listening. Take care. Have a great Thanksgiving and make it a great day. San Jose Sharks hockey is back and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm JD Young. Eric Fowl. Together we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.